message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. One or two relatively familiar faces. John Clements, hello. This is an unusual surprise, hello. John was, uh, John was from Brighton, where I was based until four years ago, so uh, it's good to see you, mate. So, uh, I asked Graham if, uh, if he had PowerPoint capabilities, which he assured me that they had the technology. Um, little did I expect... This, uh, which is, yeah, I mean, it's just remarkable. I mean, I'm sorry if you are on the front row, you're going to have a sore neck by the end. Um, that's, uh, it's, yeah, I could have used the world's smallest fonts and it still would have been ginormous. So it's great to be here and uh, particularly if you're someone who wouldn't call yourself a Christian, um, maybe it's your very first time at church, um, you're like me, it's my first time here and uh, it's great to have you here. Um, I guess if you are brand new to church, then... Uh, experiencing a bunch of people, particularly guys, singing love songs to another fella is slightly curious, isn't it? So hopefully by the end of this, uh, this message you will have a little bit more of an idea why uh, a bunch of guys gather in a cinema on Sundays to sing love songs to a dude. Uh, so, uh, and if you're still curious at the end, we'll come and speak to Graham um, or, uh, or Adam or someone like that and uh, we can help you <laughs> understand a little bit more why that is. What I want to do uh, this morning is to engage you with six of the most remarkable and memorable verses in the Bible. And I'm sure that many of you are familiar with these verses. If you've been a Christian for, uh, for any length of time, you will probably have heard at least uh, and quite possibly well read these verses from Colossians chapter 1. If you have got a Bible, maybe you could open it to, although not that you really need it, of course. Um, <laughs> Maybe you could open it to Colossians chapter 1. And maybe if you're young and single and sitting next to someone that you like and you haven't got your Bible, this is your chance. Um, Hey, baby, nice Bible. Is that the gold leaf ESV study Bible I see? Oh, nice. Um, Steady as you go, though, okay? Remember, okay, it's holiness, so just be careful. Um, So, we're going to be looking at six verses from Colossians Chapter 1. Um, oh, I'm not going to bother with it on my phone, so I think I've got it there, haven't I? So, uh, we'll read together, and then I'll just pray quickly, and then we'll crack on with this today. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray just quickly before we launch into this this morning. Father, thank you for what we've heard about your reign this morning. And uh, we want to ask that through your words, you would empower and energize us, that you would bring insight and revelation. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd illuminate uh, these uh, wonderful scriptures for us, that our hearts might be changed. Lord, we say we're looking for stuff that changes our hearts, Lord. 
We're not looking just for contentious things. Lord, not after heat. We're looking for light. We're looking for clarity. So Holy Spirit, help me. Uh, help uh, the hearers this morning that all together we might engage with you in your word. Uh, that you would speak and that we would be lifted and changed and shaped by your powerful word today. In the name of Jesus we ask. Amen. So, Colossians, uh, a letter written by a Christian leader called Paul. Uh, He began uh, life as a Jew. He became a Pharisee. He was a very educated man who who knew the Scriptures, who knew the Torah, uh, who was very zealous for the things of God, who was very zealous about his Judaism. And uh, as uh, as a young man, he was a persecutor of Christians. Basically, the deal was he thought that because Christians worshipped Jesus as Lord and accepted him as Messiah, that they were beyond the pale. Uh, They'd gone too far, that this sham Messiah who was crucified on a cross by Romans, he is no Messiah at all. And so he felt with these Christians, they're they're, they're off their heads. They've gone, that's it. They they haven't got a clue what they're on about. Uh, And for the sake of his zeal for Judaism, he persecuted and uh, and harried the early church. Until, of course, as I'm sure you know, he met with Jesus powerfully on the road to Damascus on a mission to get Christians, Jesus appears. And it's quite a good thing, isn't it? You you think there's there's Paul kind of all trudging along, thinking what he's going to do to these Christians. And bish, bash, bosh, uh, Jesus appears and his life is turned around, completely transformed. And he becomes what's called an apostle, someone who is sent by the risen Jesus to preach Jesus as Lord, to establish churches. So this dramatic thing happens to him. Now, when he writes Colossians as a letter, he's in prison. Uh, He's been jailed for preaching Christ. And he's writing to this young church. Colossae was a a town in uh, in probably what is Turkey today. And uh, the church in Colossae was this young fresh, vulnerable community. Uh, Not old Christians, not people who've been Christians for many, many years, probably not hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, just a small, vulnerable community full of of newbie Christians. And so Paul writes to encourage and strengthen and equip and help this young, vulnerable church. And you think, wow, this is incredible. When you begin to think and read through uh, letters like Ephesians as well, written from prison, and you think, well, what? Gosh, the, the courage and the insight that there is and the things that he teaches and, and writes to young, vulnerable churches is remarkable. And so what I want to do is really unpack some of this incredible passage for you, uh, because actually God, through his word, wants to strengthen and help and equip young, vulnerable churches still today. Now, maybe you think, well, we're not a very young, or very vulnerable church, but in, in any case, God wants to strengthen and equip and help and comfort and encourage his bride through his word. And so as we engage with these words today, I trust that God is going to engage with your hearts in new ways and that fresh things will open up for you, fresh understanding of who Jesus is, fresh understanding of what it means to be a Christian, fresh understanding even of what it means to be part of the church and on God's mission together with him. So look, the first thing we're going to look at is the image and my man Dave will uh, click the button and we'll find a nice new slide. Here we go, the image. Um, the image of the invisible God. And what I'd like to do is just tell you a little bit about where the idea of image bearing comes from. Paul is saying Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And it's, it's a radical, radical claim. Now perhaps you've always thought that when Paul says this, he is the image of the invisible God, that Paul is saying, we see Jesus, he's, he's God and man, he's divine, and that's what the image of the invisible God means. Well, 
Paul goes on to make the connection between Jesus, the man, who is also fully God. But in this particular verse, he is the image of the invisible God. He's referring to Jesus' full humanity. He's referring to Jesus, the man. Jesus, the 33-year-old Jewish peasant who was crucified on a Roman cross. He's talking about the man, Jesus. But the idea of image-bearing comes from the ancient Near East. Now, I know that Graham's an expert in the ancient Near East, so I'm sure that you all know that already, don't you? That the image bearing was this idea. And what it, what it meant was this. If you went to, uh, if you went to a, a, if you were a ruler, say, of a country, uh, you were a king or an emperor or something, and you had territory with borders and perimeters, you would set up an image of yourself and the perimeters of your land that would say to anyone who would come along and come up to the perimeter that so-and-so owns this land. So perhaps, I don't know, you could get a statue of Graham uh, and set it up somewhere outside Derby. Graham's place, this is. Jubilee Church, Derby, it belongs to Graham. Um, So you get these images or statues that were set up. And of course, if anyone wanted to come and nick that country, they would see, here's this image that says, so-and-so rules here, it's his. So keep away. Stay clear, it's mine. Get your hands off. Now, also, we find the same idea in Genesis, right? Genesis 1, God creates male and female in his image. And the point of God's doing that, and the point of Genesis stating that, that that male and female are made in God's image, is to say that God has conferred on humans an incredible responsibility and dignity and honour that means they rule creation on his behalf. That's what it means to be an image bearer of God. It doesn't just mean that they they looked like God, because they probably didn't look like God. It doesn't mean that they just have a conscience and a soul, and that's that's the bit that's image bearing. What it means is that God made them to rule, to cultivate, to steward, to demonstrate on earth what God's rule is like. And then to fill the earth, to multiply, to spread out. The idea, of course, is that the earth will be filled with the image and the glory of God. Not some grey, weird blob thing, like the monster out of Lost. You know, it's not that kind of thing. It's, it's actually human beings, God's image bearers, filling out, sp- spreading out, filling the earth with the image and glory of God. Now, when Paul writes to the church in Colossae, in the first century A.D., Colossae was very much under the shadow of another image, a different kind of ruler. And that ruler was Caesar, the head, the emperor of the Roman Empire. And Rome ruled over the civilised world in the first century. And Caesar would set up statues of himself all over the perimeters of his empire that would say, Caesar is Lord, Rome has conquered. And there was all kinds of ramifications with that. There was something called the Pax Romana, which meant that Rome has achieved peace. There was even the gospel. The Greek word is euangelion. It's where the gospel writers took the word gospel from. That means that Rome and the power of Rome and Caesar have accomplished the good news that Caesar is Lord and has brought peace to the world. And so all these different themes and ideas are coming together in the New Testament. And actually guys like Paul are taking it and undermining it and subverting it and making it into a claim about who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished, what God has accomplished through him. So if you were living in Colossae, you would be living in a town that was filled with images that said Caesar is Lord. 
He is God here. He rules here. He's the one who's in control. And so it would be coins, it would be statues, it would be all kinds of things in the marketplace. All these different things that say that he's in control. Now just consider then, for a moment, how scary, how incredibly subversive, how remarkably radical it would be then to either hear or to read the words, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Whoa. If you are living in a small town in a little vulnerable community of new Christians, you would be scared for your life because claims like that get you in trouble with the empire. Claims like that get you chucked to the wild beasts. They get you crucified. They get you hauled up before Roman courts. So it'd be, whoa, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Paul is saying some remarkable, remarkable things. And that's what we need to engage with and look at. Paul is saying that this man, Jesus, is now doing what God intended for man and woman to do right from the beginning, ruling and reigning over all things. So we find the second half of verse 15 is that he is the firstborn over all creation. It's a title of authority. It doesn't mean that Jesus is just the first human being, because of course that's not true. He's not the first human being. It means that he has authority over creation. Paul goes on to unpack it and says, by him all things were created. So when he goes through this list, all things were created, were the things in heaven, things on earth, past, present, future. He's saying this, saying Jesus rules over all creation, not just Colossae. This one, this man Jesus, the exalted, resurrected Christ, is Lord over the whole creation. He's saying that Jesus is God's appointed Lord over creation past, present and future. He's saying that all powers and authorities, including Caesars, including the might and authority of the Roman Empire, are just at best given by Jesus to accomplish his purpose and at worst a cheap imitation of the real McCoy. This is radical stuff. This is political and spiritual dynamite. To speak into a culture where there is a ruling Lord and to say, no, 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 no. There's another image. There's another son. There's another Lord. There's another one who rules. There's another one who accomplishes peace. There's another one who is over all creation. And it's not Caesar. It's Jesus as Lord. He is the true image. He is the one who is the, the, the proper human being, the one who is doing for all creation what God always intended for his image bearers to do. It's deep, radical, explosive, dynamic stuff. Jesus, the glorified man, reigning, ruling on God's behalf over all creation, subverting the claims of the empire. So look, think about the world that you live in for a moment. What, what are the power plays that go on? What are, the, what are the things that jostle for power and authority what are, the, what are the images that speak about who is in control in Derby? What images do we have? What things do we look at and, and just meekly receive as being, well, this is the way that it is? Perhaps it's the mighty pound sign. Perhaps it's the Derby County badge, although I doubt that very much. 
Perhaps it's Rolls Royce. You see, there's always competing rival images going on. And so for you as a church in Derby, to understand that the true Lord and the true image is Jesus is radical stuff and should cause you to reimagine life and to reimagine your city and to reimagine your faith, to reimagine church life in the light of that radical, subversive claim. There's more though. So we looked at the image. I want to show you now something about the body. The body. Of which clearly I have a fine example. <laughs> hmm. Fine but small. Uh, and weak, unfortunately. The body. Paul not only says to this newbie community, this newbie Christian community in Colossae, uh, that, uh, that's living with all these images and things, it's not only says that Jesus is the true Lord and not Caesar, that Jesus rules and not political powers. He says something about who they are, and he says something about the age that is to come as well. He's starting to speak to them about not just this life here, but about the resurrection and about the age to come that with Jesus' resurrection began and is even now breaking into their own experience in certain ways. He begins to talk about what it means to be joined with Jesus, to be joined with him as the head to the body. And so he describes the church as the body and he describes Jesus as the head, the first born from the dead. What he's doing with that is saying, yes, Jesus reigns over creation past, right now, all that's going on now, what's going on to the future, but he also is the firstborn over from the dead. So he is the first of new creation and all that is to come when God unites heaven and earth finally, uh, when new creation, new heavens and new earth uh, arrives and finally comes together, Jesus will reign there. He is supreme over all that. He reigns gloriously over it. Now, I don't know what you think about heaven. I don't know whether you think of heaven as being a nice place, uh, kind of cloud-like, a little bit like a dreams advert maybe, uh, or DFS sofas, you know, full of comfy sofas and and clouds and fluffy kittens and and people angelic-looking with harps playing Blessed Be Your Name on the harp. Hmm. I can't really imagine that. (laughs) Some people would say, yeah, that sounds more like hell, actually. Um, Some people, not all, mind you. The Bible's picture of heaven is, is a bit more rich than that. It's a bit more diverse. It's a bit more beautiful, a lot more beautiful. We've looked at Genesis and the idea of image bearing. If we were to look at Revelation, the end of the Bible, you'd find this, not an escape from earth to some floaty, woaty, nebulous world with harps and clouds and angels. You will find heaven and earth coming together, joining, overlapping, interlocking, interfacing forever. That's what the Bible speaks about. It's what it calls new heavens and earth. It's not escaping from earth. It's actually an incredible, rich, new life, a new experience on earth. Understand that when Jesus was raised, he wasn't raised as a spirit. He was raised as a physical human body. He ate fish. Some of you might be thinking, ugh. If you're raised from the dead, you've been crucified, you've been buried, you've been raised, you might want something a little bit more exciting. Oh, chickabuna for me, please, thank you. Um, but no fish, he ate physical bodies. So resurrection was into this world. He wasn't raised and then whoosh, just suddenly disappeared, poof, like up to heaven somewhere, beamed away like a spaceman. 
He was raised in a physical body and was around and communicated. And people touched him and knew him and spoke to him. And he ate fish. (laughs) God intends to do for all creation what he's done for Jesus. He intends to do for the whole cosmos what he's done for Jesus. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead as a physical body is the guarantee that the rest of creation will follow suit. So you, in your weakness and your creaky joints and your infirmities and feeling, oh, I turned 35 in October and started to feel 35 as well. Although they say that you're as young as the woman that you feel. And uh, well, my wife's 34, so that makes me feel quite good. Um, look, Jesus is going to raise all things. Creation is going to undergo this incredible transformation. And from the resurrection of Jesus from the dead until this point and on until this thing happens in its entirety, resurrection life has been busting out and breaking in. It's what Hebrews describes as the power of the age to come. You see, this is, a, this is radical stuff for the church. Because we, we fail to grapple with this concept often. We think that what matters is we gather on Sunday, uh, we shut the doors, and we just comfort one another because life is tough. And you know, we, we'll come together and we'll say some nice things and sing some nice songs. And maybe someone will sing out or prophesy and we'll have a tongue interpretation. And then we go back with a sigh into the big bad world and we think, well, that's, that's all that there is really. And what we fail to realise is that you're joined to one who is raised from the dead. You are the body of whom the head is gloriously raised. It's like you are living between the ages in a sense, right? So you live now with your feet in this world. But by the Holy Spirit's presence in you, you are now tasting the power of the future age. You're tasting resurrection life now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Please don't misunderstand that the Spirit is not given to the church just so that she might enjoy a spiritual Alton Towers week by week. Some Christians give you that impression. Oh, the Spirit, boom, yeah! And it's all about shaking and falling and and things and and novelty and new things. But it's not. Although that's a beautiful, wonderful byproduct often. The point is that you are to bring the life of the future into the present. You're to bring resurrection life into your life now, into your family, into your workplace, your school, college, uni. You bring the life of the future now by the Spirit. You are people who are tasting this future age and living in it because you are joined to Jesus who is raised from the dead. Now that has some big implications for you as a church. Oh, here we've got that quote up. Thank you. <laughs> Let's read the quote and then we'll look at the implications. This is what Tom Wright says. The risen Jesus in heaven is the presence in God's sphere of the first part of earth to be transformed into new creation in which heaven and earth are joined, right? The coming together of heaven and earth. The pouring out of the Spirit on earth is the presence in our sphere, right? So this now, where we are right now, of the sheer energy of heaven itself. Whoa! God, think of that. It's the sheer energy of heaven itself right here working among us. Because Jesus is Lord of all, his energy, the power to be and do something quite new is available through the Spirit to all who call on him, all who follow him, all who trust him. That's absolutely breathtaking. 
Now, the next time you're tempted to yawn, to fall asleep like my friend here, <laughs> then you, you need to grapple with this truth, that the sheer energy of heaven is breaking out in the midst of us. And this is not just trying to make church a little bit less boring. It's not just trying to make church a bit more exciting. Oh, we've got a list. Charismatic, tick. That's that done. We had a prophecy this morning. We can tick that one off. It's not really the point. The point is about this future age breaking in, new life breaking out, new stuff happening, heaven's energy breaking out among us. Now, okay, some of you might be thinking, this is like, this is like, wow, this goes off the wall. Let me tell you what Jesus says in John chapter 1. At the end of John 1, you may know the story, Jesus calls this guy Nathaniel, and Nathaniel comes to him and, uh, and, and is amazed that Jesus knew his name. And Jesus goes, well, yeah, I'll tell you, you'll see some more impressive things than that. And goes on to say to Nathaniel that he will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Are you familiar with that Bible passage in John 1? Have you ever thought, what Jesus are you going on about? This is just random. I don't understand. Can you get me to the nice easy bits? Can you get me to the fridge magnet verses quickly, please? The stuff that I can just quote out and it's all fine. Well, what Jesus is doing here is he's taking the story of Jacob. And Jacob slept. And in in his sleep, he dreamed and he saw heaven open and a ladder between heaven and earth, right? And the angel was going up and down on this ladder between heaven and earth. And Jacob wakes up and wakes up and goes, whoa. Man, that was strong cheese. <laughs> Not really. Jesus, uh, Jacob wakes up and says, oh, I didn't realise this is God's house. And I had no idea. Whoa. And so he sets up an altar. He calls the place Bethel, which means God's dwelling, God's house. So when Jesus then says, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending, on the sun, ascending and descending on the Son of Man, he's putting himself into that scene. And he's saying the place now where heaven and earth overlap, interconnect, interface, is not Bethel and a stone and an altar. It's wherever I am. I am the place where heaven and earth connect and interface and overlap. Right? And so Jesus understood the whole shooting match of his ministry as being this is the point now, heaven and earth coming together. And so Tom Wright is right when he says that Jesus is the first part of this creation to become new creation, to be transformed. And even now he's reigning and ruling as this first bit of creation, this coming together of heaven and earth. Now that means that if you are a Christian, you are more than just someone who God is tolerating now. You're more than just a person who has said a sinner's prayer once upon a time in a big meeting and now is trying to work out how to keep your nose clean. You're someone who is joined to Jesus, which means that you now are the place where heaven and earth interconnect, interface and overlap. You are the place where that happens. The local church as a body is the place where heaven and earth connect. It's like a portal. It's where heaven's life spills out and overflows and overlaps and breaks out into the world through you. Yes, you. Jubilee Church, Derby, Little Jubilee Church in the cinema, the quad, is the place where heaven's breaking out. It's the place where the life of heaven is overflowing and coming into the world through you. And yet we wander around as Christians, don't we, all navel-gazing and brow-beating. Blessed be your name. Oh. 
You're joined to Jesus. The body and the head is raised and his life floods out into your lives. The power of heaven, the energy of heaven itself. Let's just look at the things, the implications of this quickly. First of all, Look, this is the verse we've been quoting from. He's the, the head of the body, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. and everything, he might be supreme. Sorry, go on, Dave, keep going, please. This is Ephesians as well. The immeasurable, this, this is the power at work in you. The immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that we, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Okay, again, resurrection power. This has all gone in the wrong order, actually. Now to him who's able to do far more. Now, <laughs> look. This is, I've got a bugbear about this verse. I'm sorry, um, probably not the right place to be sharing bugbears when you're a visiting speaker. This verse gets quoted all wrong, all the time. Oh God, thank you that you're able to do more than we can ask or imagine. And we think that that just means that, that God, we can ask our things for the church, but, but God's just kind of got a bigger agenda somewhere. And we miss out that second part. According to the power at work within us. That's easy to miss that bit, isn't it? But it's the same principle. Resurrection life and power is working in you. And so God is able to do in you more than that you can ask or imagine. Not because somehow he makes you the superman, but actually the power of Jesus' resurrection is transforming and energising you. It's more than just white knuckling. And we don't need to screw up our faces and uh, and white knuckle and try really hard because we've just got to get more done. Uh. No, it's his energy and power that transforms. Okay, let's have the next slide. We've got, this is what happens when you go off piste, by the way. You have authority in Jesus. This is where I wanted to get to. You have authority in Christ. You have authority in Jesus as a Christian. It's not just he's the boss, he's the manager. And I'm somewhere down here, one of, the, one of the gophers in the factory. That's not how it works. You're joined to him. No gopher in a factory is joined to the head, the CEO. You're connected with him. It means that his authority is given to you. You know, Matthew 28, when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, that's post-resurrection. Therefore, go. You have authority because you're joined to one who is raised from the dead. Next thing, you get to rule with him and for him. It's true to say that Jesus reigns. But Jesus reigns through the church on earth. Don't miss that. He reigns through the church. Later on in Colossians, Paul will say that the image of God is being renewed in you through Christ. You're becoming truly human in Christ what it means to be a Christian. You become a truly human being. You become someone who is truly an image bearer, who is joined to the true image, the truly human one. Jesus is the, the human being par excellence, right? And if you're joined to him, you're being shaped and made into a true image bearer, one who truly shows off the image of God and one who therefore rules and reigns and stewards creation on his behalf. That's a beautiful thing. Now, it means responsibility. It means that we don't just say, oh, well, let go and let God. That's a rubbish statement. It's dreadful. 
Because it's abdicating your responsibility as an image bearer to take ownership of God's mission, God's church, God's world. He calls you to rule and to reign with him and for him. You know, the word for church in Greek was ecclesia. And amongst the many nuanced meanings of ecclesia, it means God's ruling, governing body. That's incredible. You are God's ruling, governing body on the earth in Derby. You are. Is that worth a yeah? Yeah. In any way, shape or form? I I think it is. Friends, this is so dynamic. This lifts it out of the humdrum, oh, I'm just a poor old sinner, hoping to make it to heaven, hoping that verses that are difficult, like the one in Hebrews 6 about falling away, aren't actually true, and that I can scrape in just about. No, you have this incredible authority and life in him, and the power of the age to come breaking into your presence. Through the Spirit. That's far more energetic and dynamic than just a bit of religion. Who wants that? See, what the world desperately, what what your city desperately needs to see is a community alive with the presence of heaven. You know, the first community filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they thought they were drunk at nine in the morning. Now, I sincerely hope that none of you were drunk at nine in the morning, I certainly wasn't drunk at nine in the morning. I was halfway down the M1 at nine o'clock in the morning. That's another story. But is there sufficient evidence of this energy and power of the new age breaking into the present that would make people go, whoa, are these guys drunk or something? Is is there an energy at work? Or have we somehow kind of explained it all away and made it just about a less boring church meeting? You get to rule and reign with Jesus because you're joined to him with power at work in you. The last one of these here, you get to be him in your city. I heard Terry Virgo say once that as a young man, a young evangelist, um, he would say to people, well, don't look at the church, don't look at, the, look at Jesus. <laughs> don't bother about the church, Meh. Like Jesus. That's what... And then realised later on that he'd been wrong. <laughs> That actually, when you look at the church, you should see Jesus because it's the body joined to the head. You get to be Jesus to this city. You get to rule with him, to reign with him. You've given authority by him. You get to bring his presence, not by calling down some cloud. You are him to the city. The glory is not out there in a biblical sense. Glory is here. It's you. You are the image and glory of God in Christ. And so when people encounter you, they should be encountering Jesus. They are encountering Jesus. So you don't get the excuse of being rude and sullen and miserable to people and then saying, well, don't worry about me, look to Jesus. Because they're looking to you to be Christ to them. His body, incarnated is the biblical word, like fleshed out to be seen and known and heard and touched. I love what Kevin was saying. It's Kevin, isn't it? About what the, the ministry that he's involved. That's beautiful. It's being Christ to people. That's what you're here for. That is what you're here for. How does this work out for you in Derby then? 
if all this, this is all very theological, but what, what does it look like? How does this flesh out, if you like? What will it be like on the ground? What does it mean to be this kind of people in Derby? I want to invite you, and I think God is inviting you to reimagine your world, to reimagine what it is like to live in this city in 2011 and into 2012, to reimagine church a little bit, to reimagine faith even in the light of this incredible stuff that Paul says about Jesus and Paul says about the church, says about you joining to this Jesus. God calls you to turn all the power plays and images and competing rival images of power and authority on their head. He calls you and invites you to take part in demonstrating a different kind of authority and rule. Let's look at the next verse. This is what Paul says in <coughs> verses 1, 19 and 20. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So look, the first thing is this, that this man, Jesus the Messiah, has been associated with the second person of the Trinity. Right? Just in case any of you were getting ready to stone me because I was talking about Jesus the man. Jesus the Middle Eastern, Jesus the 30-year-old Jew didn't exist for eternal ages as a Middle Eastern man. At a point in history, the second person of the Trinity took on flesh. In one sense, you could say that Jesus became more than God because he took on something he'd never had before. He became the God-man. But what does authority and ruling and reigning look like for God? Does it look like coming riding into town with a fanfare, with lots of pizzazz and trying to get people in by having the nicest coffee and the best seats? Well, you've got the comfiest seats in town, probably, actually a lot comfier than our church, uh, by the best band and the shiniest, coolest, most radical, you know, most kind of ching, and the pastor comes running in in a suit, high-fiving everyone. Yeah. This, this church is like, you laugh, this church is like that, where it's all a brand, it's, all, it's just basically like, like um, take me out with, with a Christian kind of vibe to it. You know, sermons become no likey, no lighty. You know, it's, like, it's just no good. What did power and authority and rulership look like for Jesus? Well, it looked like being poured out to death on the cross. The symbol of Roman power and brutality and authority was the cross. That was the symbol when you went into Jerusalem and the roads were lined with fake messiahs and insurrectionists and people who thought they could get rid of these rowdy Romans with a sword and with violence. Jesus died on a cross not as a violent insurrectionist, but as the true image bearer subverting the power symbol of Rome and making it into the scene of God's great victory Understand, dear brothers and sisters, that bringing this incredible life and power and glory into the world is not a question of having the best, most pizzazz, most exciting, shiny-looking stuff. It involves pouring out your lives to death for the sake of the city. That's the way that this city will be turned upside down. A people who give themselves humbly in brokenness and love and sacrifice to serve the city. That's what it meant for Jesus. That's what ruling and reigning and demonstrating authority and strength and power meant. He gave himself. He poured himself out. I want to leave you with these questions. 
to help you think through where you're at with this. Is your life, your worth as a person, your identity being shaped and defined by Jesus as the true image? Or are you being shaped and defined as a person by rival images? I think there might even be some pictures, if you're lucky. <laughs> Keep going, there's three things. I don't know, anyone got a Rolls Royce? No, you don't, don't answer that, it's fine. Look, how are, how are you defining your life? How, how are you doing this, being joined to Jesus thing? How are, you, how are you doing as an image bearer, a true image bearer? Are you someone who has Christianity as a handy add-on, tacked onto your life, but really my life is all about getting the latest Apple product? I was going to make a joke about Steve Jobs, but it wouldn't be PC. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or, or money. You know, I, I'm a Christian, but you know, the minute it starts becoming about money, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute. Because my, my worth and identity, my, 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 what truly identifies me is, is how much cash I get, my salary. It's all about getting the promotions. It's all about making sure that I get ahead of the next guy. You can be a Christian and have this, you know, this kind of thing that's two masters going on. Or maybe it is a job, maybe it is a status symbol, a house, a car, something. Trying to make yourself look and appear powerful by what you acquire and get and bring into your life. When Jesus is asking you to break the cycle of acquiring to get powerful and to follow him along the road of pouring out your life for the sake of other people, pouring out your life for the city, that's what he's inviting you into. So you need to ask yourself, am I being defined by these kinds of things? Or am I being defined by Jesus as the true image who shows what it's like to be human, shows what it's like to rule and to govern, to have authority by giving himself up for people? The next question, I promise we'll close in just a minute. Are you seeing church as this radically alternative community tasked with bringing the presence of God, the future age, into the present now? Or is it a hotel to you? Uh, do you just kind of, you know, you come in, sit down, you consume what's on offer, and then you leave and you don't even make the bed because it's a hotel and someone else will look after that. I wonder whether that's your attitude towards the local church. Is it this body, this incredible community, this being joined to Jesus people? Or do you just like to come and get spoon-fed? I can kind of sit down, connect up the hose and <laughs> suck all the goodness out. And then when something is said that I don't like, there's a challenge to me, maybe about my money or my identity or about my character, my attitude, and then I just breeze out somewhere else and find a new hotel because that one, the service slipped a little bit, didn't it? The standards went downhill. Graham asked me to do something and I didn't like it. Graham said, Graham challenged me about my attitude to that thing. Yeah, that wasn't too cool. I wasn't really happy. It was fine, but it was all nice. Fine, but I could just sit and take and enjoy it. It's not a hotel. Will you take responsibility for it? you take responsibility for Jubilee Church, Derby? you take ownership for the mission? Will you follow Jesus with these people and pour out your lives for the sake of one another and the city? That's what it means to be part of the church. That's what it means to be joined to Jesus. The final thing then, is your faith producing in you an attitude that leads you to pour your life out for Derby or are you more interested in sucking all that you can out of Derby. I, I live in York, and York's beautiful. It's old, 
history, there's walls, there's Roman stuff, there's all kinds of things in York. There's the National Railway Museum. (laughs) Winner. And it's free. Boom. It's very easy, friends, to, to start developing an attitude where where you live is just convenient for you. Maybe you're a student, you know, you're, Derby's just a place where I breezed in, church is the hotel, I hang around, make some friends, I've got my social life, and then, well, but I'm not, not going to stick around really, I'm not going to be here, so I'll just use it up and then leave. Derby's okay, you know, I'll just use it for the time being, little stopgap thing. It's not about what you can suck out of the city. God's put you here to pour into the city, friends. God's put you here to be Jesus to the city. God's put you here to bring the life of the future into the city. Resurrection. To be resurrection people. But pouring their lives out for the city. Not getting stuff. Acquiring stuff. Sucking the fat off the land and enjoying it. Now sure you get to enjoy the place where you live. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus is inviting us to do much, much, much more than just have a cosy religious gathering on a Sunday and then spend the rest of the week sucking stuff out of the city. What happens in here on a Sunday is a reawakening and reimagining of life with Jesus' lordship in view and with your connection to him in view where you get encouraged and empowered and strengthened to be him in the city. This isn't the destination This is part of the journey, right? The destination is new heavens and earth. You become the vehicle for that breaking in to the city. So, I will stop there, I think, and pray. The close, is there a song or something afterwards? Up to me, okay. (laughs) Do you know morning has broken? No. (laughs) No, any. With with no third. Um, Geeky muso joke, I apologise. Why don't we stand up together, shall we? <coughs> Maybe you just start to close your eyes and another one of those little things we say so often is, Oh God, will you just let your presence really come here? And sometimes it can be a bit of a fallacy because he's already here. Because he's in us, right? He dwells in the midst of us. When we say, God, we want to get into your presence, the question is, well, where have you been? Because <laughs> you're always in it. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. You're joined to the one raised from the dead. So his presence is here. And it's not about how you feel. It doesn't have to be this buzz. You don't need to make a vibe. You don't need to make a context for the Holy Spirit to move, right? Spirit of God, we thank you that your presence is among us. We thank you for the incredible dignity and worth and joy that comes from being joined to Jesus, the one who is raised gloriously. And yet we recognise, Lord, that so often we don't count on those things as being true and we live as though it weren't true, really. Lord, where that's the case, we want to say together we repent. We want to line up with this one who is ascended and glorified. We want to learn from him what it means to truly be human, to truly be alive, this one who took on flesh, who modelled what it meant to truly be a human being, an image bearer. Lord, shape that in us more and more. And we pray for Derby that it would see not a religious people, 
not a people strung out on all kinds of weirdness, but a people alive in Christ, reigning in life, reigning with him and for him, bringing him, being him. I ask Holy Spirit, for not spiritual Alton Towers, but for missional energy. Holy Spirit, I ask for energy to be the people of God to this city. And I ask, Lord, that it be a new day of people being drawn into this community as well. Lord, I pray that you grace them with all they need to pour themselves out. Lord, all that they need to, 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 to die to self, uh, to turn things upside down, that the power structures that say it's all about getting and acquiring, and to demonstrate that this is about giving and loving and sacrificing Spirit of God, I pray that you'd add to this community. I pray that this would be a community that in years to come will be full of people who were busted up and broken and are being made whole, who are experiencing resurrection among them in profound ways. Lord, I ask for some that even new ministry ideas would awaken in their hearts. On the back of what you have said and what you intend for the church, the new stuff would awake. Lord, we look for it, Jesus. We believe in you for it, God. We believe in you for wonderful things. That song that says greater things are still to be done in the city. Thank you that you intend for this community to be on the vanguard of that. Right in the middle of it, Lord. Bless them. Pour out your power among them. Energize them, God, for your mission and your work in the world. For your glory's sake, Lord. Amen. Thanks, Al. Tremendously challenging and stirring. I trust you'll discuss some of those challenges and questions in life groups this week. Uh, we'll get those questions out to you to, uh, to help you with that. It's been great having you here this morning. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Al, for being with us from York. Uh, can we show our appreciation to him? Thank you. <laughs> Jubilee Church Podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.